Verse 6 says, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh and Kenesite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since that time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for going out and coming. So now give me this hill country for which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and said, uh, and, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. And the land had rest for more. Well, there are a number of people in history who have changed the world, and yet they are either unpopular or they are unknown. Uh, the first person I'll tell you about, I'm sure that nobody here has ever heard about him. I had never heard about him. His name was Vasily Alexandrovich Arkhipov. He was a Russian uh, submarine commander uh, during the time of the Cold War. And it was October 27, 1962, and he was on his submarine, and the Kremlin uh, gave him the order or, or the permission that if he wanted to, he could use nuclear weapons in the submarine. And a, an American naval ship had attacked the submarine, and the catch was there had to be three officers that would approve the request, and then they could use nuclear weapons. Two of Vasily's commanding officers that had a higher rank than he did signed off on the order, and he was the only one who refused to sign off on that order. If he would have signed off on that order, it, he would have sent nuclear weapons against the United States and probably destroyed most of the world. And yet we've never heard of him. There's a man named, by the name of Frank Wills. He worked in a Washington, D.C. hotel as a security guard, and the hotel was called the Watergate Hotel. And he was doing his rounds as a security officer one night, and he saw a piece of tape that was on one of the uh, locks, and he took the piece of tape off, and then he was going around later, and he saw that the piece of tape appeared again. And he reported that to the authorities, and the authorities came and investigated it, and they found the first piece of evidence that led eventually to the Watergate breakthrough and discovering that. Yet he wasn't able to capitalize on the popularity that he received. He gained some notoriety for a time, but soon after that, nobody would even hire him as a security guard for fear of repercussions. He ended up dying of a brain tumor at 52 in poverty. We talk about Paul Revere. 
Paul Revere was one of the most famous people in American history. Uh, if you go to Boston, you can see uh, the place where he worked. You can see his tombstone. Uh, very famous person. Even, you know, everyone's heard of Paul Revere's Midnight Ride. However, he wasn't the only one to do that. There was another person by the name of Sybil Luddington. She was a 16-year-old uh, girl who rode in April 1777 uh, in hailing rain, fought off, or escaped from bandits, and went about double the amount of time, uh, double the miles that Paul Revere did to warn that the British were coming. But thanks to her bravery, the troops were able to get a head start and engage the British at the Battle of Ridgefield. Yet, probably none of us have heard of this young girl who did the same thing Paul Revere did, an even greater fate. So three people, three people who changed history in profound ways, but probably none of us have heard of them. They were unpopular in their day. And I think Joshua is one of those people who was initially unpopular and then unknown. He made an unpopular decision, and he lived his life in relative obscurity. We first met uh, or Caleb in the book of Numbers, and Caleb uh, is one of the spies that God sends to the promised land. Sends, tw- sends 12 spies. Ten of them, or they all come back and say, yeah, it's a great land, but ten of them say, the people of the land are giants. They're Anakim. We can't enter into the land. They're too powerful for us to enter into the land. And yet two, Joshua and Caleb, say, no, we can take them. With God's help, we can bring down these people, and we can enter into the land that God has promised us. Listen to what Caleb says in Numbers chapter 13, verses 30 to 31. It says, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So from there, we know what happens to Joshua. Joshua takes over from, for Moses and we see of all the things that he did throughout the book of Joshua as we've been studying through this book. We know a lot about his life, but Caleb just disappears. We don't hear anything about his life for 45 years. And yet he appears here as they're entering into and uh, gaining possession of the promised land. And we see that he's the same person that he was at 40 that he is at 85. He says that the Lord has kept him alive so that he could receive the inheritance. He says that he has the same strength today at 85 that he did at 40. And he has the same faith that he had at 40 at 85. He says, we can take him. Even though I'm 85, we can still take him with God's help. Again, this was significant because these people who were in this land were... Again, the Anakim, which were giants. They're described in the book of Deuteronomy this way. Hear, O Israel, you are to come, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess the nations greater and mightier than you, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of Anakim, whom you know and whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of the Anakim? That's what people said. Who can stand before the sons of the Anakim? That's what the spies said. And yet Caleb here at 85 says, yes, I'm a little bit older, but God has 
given me strength. And with God's help, I can still take these people out of the land and drive them out. I remember Caleb could have given up. He could have chosen, you know, 45 years have passed, and during that time frame, he hasn't received the promise, he hasn't received the inheritance. And so he could have given up, concluding that God wasn't going to come through on his promises. And yet each day he lived in faith, believing that God would do what he said he was going to do. And even when his flesh was telling him this wasn't going to happen, as he was getting up in age, he believed that God was going to keep him alive and God would give him the victory over the Anakim, that he would allow him to defeat the giants at 85. Now, if I, if I told you, think about someone who is a person of faith in the Bible. You might think about Noah, and you might think about the fact that he was the only righteous one in his generation. You might think about the fact that he built the ark and how he probably withstood ridicule as he was doing that. You might think about Abraham who left his homeland to go to the land that God had called him. You might think of Moses who went up and stood, stood against Pharaoh, took on the, the might of Egypt and led God's people through the Red Sea into the wilderness on the way to the Promised Land. You might think of Joshua who was strong and courageous or becomes strong and courageous and defeats these enemies of God's people. You might think of someone like Paul who withstood such persecution for the cause of Christ. But if you were to ask a hundred Christians that question, who is a person of faith, probably none of us would say Caleb. It's not someone who would come to our minds. And yet he's a profound example of what it looks like to follow after God. We see repeated throughout this passage that he wholly followed the Lord. We don't know a lot of the things that happened in his life. We only get snippets, bits and pieces of what happens in his life. But we know that he followed after the Lord. And we can understand and learn from this passage that faithfulness is more important than prominence. Faithfulness is more important than prominence. As a culture, I think we gravitate toward prominence rather than faithfulness. I mean, who are the people that we read? We read the people who are on the bestsellers list. We listen to people who win Grammys, movies that win Academy Awards. We gravitate towards the people who are known, who are in front of us. Even if what they have to say doesn't really make a lot of sense, because they're famous, because they're prominent, as a culture, we take stock in what they say. And I think this happens even in the Christian world. I've uh, gone to a number of Christian conferences, um, gone to some pastors' conferences. I've seen many more advertised. And if you look, I haven't done a study or anything, but if you look at most of these conferences that are put on, I think you would find that there's very few old people that are speakers at these conferences. There's very few old people. You find mostly younger to middle-aged people who have written books or have experienced success in their church. And there's very few old people. And I think the reason is because we value prominence more than faithfulness. We don't see the examples of people who have followed after God day after day, year after year. We see the person that's written a book or who's developed a large following. 
you know, as a young seminary student, I think I was drawn more to that prominence aspect of Christianity as well. You know, and I remember, you know, I'd read people who, you know, wrote, you know, a number of books who were on the radio or who had been on TV. And over the course of time, some of those people, and really it wasn't that much time, less than 10 years, I've seen four of those people fall into sin or prove themselves unfaithful to the ministry that God has called them to. Four people whose books I have on my bookshelf right now. And as I've gotten older, or you know, a little bit older, I've come to value that faithfulness is more important than prominence. Anyone can be prominent for a moment, but not many people are faithful for a lifetime. Eugene Peterson said it this way, The culture conditions us to approach people and situations as journalists do. See the big, exploit the crisis, edit and abridge the commonplace, interview the glamorous. The scriptures and our best pastoral traditions train us in a different approach. Notice the small, persevere in the commonplace, appreciate the obscure. And this is not simply a spiritual truth, but is also demonstrated in other aspects of life. Mark Batterson, in his book, The Circle Maker, shares uh, research, uh, how they've determined that Japanese children consistently score better on math tests than American children. And they did this study where they gave children a very difficult problem to solve, and they weren't really interested in if they were able to solve it as much as how long they tried to solve it. And they determined that the American children lasted, on average, 9.47 minutes. The Japanese children lasted 13.93 minutes. 47, they tried 47% longer. Batterson says, is it any wonder that they score higher on math exams? Researchers concluded that the difference in math scores might have less to do with intelligent quotient and more to do with persistence quotient. The Japanese first graders simply tried harder. David Brooks, in his book, The Social Animal, points to current research that reveals the common denominator in attaining excellence in a field, a long-term commitment to discipline and practice. He writes this, In 1997, Gary McPherson studied 157 randomly selected children as they picked out and learned a musical instrument. Some went on to become fine musicians and some faltered. McPherson searched for the traits that separated those who progressed from those who did not. IQ was not a good predictor. Neither was oral sensitivity, uh, math skills, income, or a sense of rhythm. The best single predictor was a question McPherson asked the students before they even selected their instruments. How long do you think you will play? The students who planned to play for a short time did not become very proficient. The students who planned to play for a few years had modest success. But there were some children who said, in effect, I want to be a musician. I'm going to play my whole life. And these children soared. Faithfulness, persistence, perseverance. They're vitally important to the life of a believer. What does faithfulness or perseverance look like for a Christian? It's not trying harder. It's not just doing our best not to sin. It's much more than that. It's about having faith throughout our lifetime. Believing God today and also believing God tomorrow. 
Believing that he's enough for us now, believing that he's enough for us in the future. Just like Caleb believed that he could defeat a giant at 40, he believed he could defeat a giant at 85 with God's help. And he continued to look forward to what God was going to do. And we see in the text that he was blessed by the Lord because of his faith, because he wholly followed the Lord. And we see that he was given an inheritance, and the land was given peace for more. I think there are two results that happen when we live lives of faithfulness. The first is that we receive the inheritance. Just like Caleb was promised an inheritance, we as believers are promised an inheritance in heaven. Ephesians 1, 11 to 12 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. So, we, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So we're promised an inheritance. Just like Caleb was promised an inheritance by Moses and God preserved him to receive that, we also are promised an inheritance in heaven. But just like Caleb had to wait for his inheritance, we have to wait for our inheritance. And so as believers, we need to trust in God today, trust in God tomorrow. Even when we face the difficulties in life, even when storms come, we say God is going to provide. God is going to come through. God is going to give me the inheritance. And one day we'll receive it. But second, I think that when we live a life of faithfulness, we offer to others an inheritance that will outlive us. Think about Caleb. He's 85 years old. How much longer is he going to live? The inheritance wasn't just for him to enjoy. It was also for his children and generation after generation. And I believe that we can leave an inheritance to those around us when we're faithful to God. I've officiated a number of funerals, been to a number of funerals, and it's interesting the different dynamics that happen at those funerals. And you, you know, you go to some funerals and you feel like people, you know, you can't say anything bad about someone who died, so, and, but people are kind of grasping at straws to think of something good to say about this person. You know, like, I'll, every time I saw this person, they had clothes on, thankfully, and every time I saw them, uh, or sometimes they had a smile on their face, sometimes they said hello, you know, and we just grasped at straws to think about something good that this person did in some way that they live on. But then there's other funerals that you go to or that I've officiated where it's clear from the get-go that these people live on. That the inheritance that they left is, is in the people that are around them. That though they're gone and with Jesus, that what they did lives on that they made a profound impact on those around us, around them. If you want to live a legacy, leave a legacy that outlives you, live a life of faithfulness to God. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves, what our position is, what our job is. If we're faithful to God, we can leave an incredible inheritance to our children, to the family around us. Because when we pass away, the, you know, the... People might say, well, he or she, they never wrote a book. They were never on TV. They never had a big following. They followed after God. Each day, each year, 
Even in the difficulty, they followed after God in the ordinary things of life. Faithfulness is more important than, than prominence. I'd like to leave you with two encouragements. First, our culture tends to associate prominence with success. But God associates faithfulness with success. If we want to be successful in our lives, it's pretty clear. Be faithful. Believe God today. Believe God tomorrow. Believe God forever. That's the key to success. But not only does our culture equate success with prominence, but it equates obscurity with insignificance. If you're not known, if you're not popular, if you don't have a following, then you don't matter. And I think that's part of the reason why many people in our culture, specifically uh, many teens, struggle with identity and self-esteem. It's because we have these different platforms to kind of demonstrate who we are and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all these different vehicles for kind of showing who we are. And then you, you know, kids see a friend who has 5,000 friends and they only have 500. They think, what's wrong with me? But then even deeper, I have all these friends, but you don't really have one true friend. We tend to associate obscurity with insignificance. If we're not popular, if we don't have people around us who are supporting us and you know, make us popular, we feel like we don't matter, we're not worthy. We need to resist the lie of the enemy that tries to tell us that obscurity is insignificance. Think about it this way. When you get to heaven... You'll meet a lot of people. You'll probably meet some famous people like the Apostle Paul and Moses and maybe Caleb and Joshua. But 99% of the people that you meet when you get to heaven, people who made a dramatic impact for the kingdom of God are people that you've never heard of, that are obscure to you. Ordinary people. Ordinary people with ordinary jobs who made a difference for God's kingdom. God sees what we do. He cares about what we do. Even when it's not significant from worldly standards, He cares about the little things that we do. And He sees our faithfulness and He'll reward us for our faithfulness. Second, some of us maybe are here and maybe we think to ourselves, well, I haven't been very faithful. I wouldn't describe my life as being faithful. I've made a lot of mistakes. I still struggle with things. Well, join the club. That's all of us. We all fall short of God's glory. And the gospel tells us that God is faithful even when we're faithless. It's not about being perfect. It's about running each day, each year to our Savior to find grace and find mercy. The author of the book of Lamentations is experiencing the judgment of God upon his life. But in the midst of that judgment, he calls upon the mercy of God. And he looks with hope to the mercy of God. And he says this, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies are new every morning. It's not about us being perfect. None of us are perfect. It's not even about us at all. It's about God and just believing in who He is and what He can do for us.
Some of us are here, maybe we say to ourselves, well, I understand that God forgives me, but the people around me will never forgive me. I've been walking far from God for 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 plus years. I've been walking from God. And now how am I going to leave an inheritance or a legacy or what kind of legacy am I going to leave at my age? Well, first of all, we need to worry more about following after God than our legacy. Let God figure out your legacy. But I would also like to encourage you that no matter where you are in life, no matter how old you are or how many mistakes you made, you can still leave an inheritance to those around you. One of my professors in seminary, his name was Paul Borthwick, and his wife's name was Christy. And Christy's father was not a believer. In fact, he was quite antagonistic to believing in the gospel, and he said that Christians were hypocrites, and he never even prayed throughout most of his life. Christy had never seen him pray up until the point near his death. And his Shortly before he died, his, one of his sons passed away. And he was, again, very angry at God for that happening. But something happened in his heart, and he began to respond to what God had to say. And right before he died, two weeks before he died, his daughter, Christy, heard him pray for the very first time. And he prayed, God, have mercy on my soul. Immediately... Over the next few days, his demeanor changed. He had a new peace, a new hope in his life. But he only had two weeks to live. Two weeks of faithfulness to God. But even in those two weeks, how that encouraged his daughter 